If you haven't come across the name before, I recommend looking up Dr. Uwe Reinhardt. He passed away just a few years ago, but is still considered by many as the leading authority on healthcare economics, and more importantly, the moral conscience of healthcare practices. We mention him here at the beginning of this episode because he makes such a sharp claim that highlights the essence of what we're getting at. He once said, the American people are not ready for the idea that everyone has at least a moral right to good, timely health care. They do agree they have a moral right, in critical cases, to have anything done to save their life, but they don't believe that anyone has a right not to fall that sick to begin with. So if you ask me, are we ever succumbing to some notions of solidarity as a nation, I would say, not at all. I would describe us as a group of people who share a geography. That's a better description of Americans than that we're a real nation with a sense of solidarity. This is our last episode before turning to proactive ways you can regain your health care, just as Dr. Reinhardt suggests in the quote I just gave. Let's take a look at the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. The Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, had the goal to counteract the high prices of medicine. The implications of the act brought to mind better days when the healthcare system was not so exploitative and was more focused on patients instead of profits. Some things the ACA did that you may or may not realize were people with quote-unquote pre-existing conditions could still get insurance and medical care and lifetime limit payouts were done away with. That meant that there was no longer a ceiling you could reach as a maximum amount of money insurance would cover for you in your lifetime. The book tells us that this was good news for those with chronic illnesses, since they would need a lifetime of coverage and help affording treatment. But it turns out that special coverages like these weren't enough. Ultimately, many groups would not budge if the Affordable Care Act meant they would lose money. As Brendan Williams put it, a lawyer and former Deputy State Insurance Commissioner during the enactment of the ACA, whom Rosenthal interviewed in the book, says, In health care, entrepreneurship outsmarts regulation every time. We can learn a lot about how insurance functions when we look at Medicare, too. Specifically, in 2006, Medicare Part D was created, which provided coverage for prescription drugs for those who had Medicare. This was a necessity since medicine prices continually increase, and those over age 65 were starting to forego their medications as a result. As the book explains, Medicare Part D worked like this. At least in 2015, you had a $320 deductible and then a 25% copayment on medications for up to $2,960. But once you passed that $2,960 amount, you had to pay full cost for medications. The thinking behind this was that this would help patients weigh whether or not they really needed certain medications. 
And then once you hit $4,700, Medicare came back and provided 95% coverage. Of course, drug makers and insurance companies learned how to skirt coverage for seniors. Once Medicare started covering medications and a bit of co-payments, the price of drugs and co-payments skyrocketed. What this meant was that folks with ordinary ailments ended up a lot faster in that blank financial space between the $2,960 and the $4,700, and Medicare doesn't cover that space. A new battle started with Medicare. They countered by covering 45% of medication costs if you landed in that blank space. But I'm not quite sure what has happened as of recent. So we've seen that insurers and drug makers raised prices drastically to fight against the Affordable Care Act. Rosenthal puts it best, quote, A $3,000 copayment for a minor surgery when you're already paying $1,000 a month in premiums is not having a little skin in the game. It's more like having a kidney. Not only is Rosenthal talking about insurance charging super high copay costs, but that the ACA offered insurance that had high deductibles. This meant you had to pay a lot of money up front before insurance kicked in. The thinking was that, since you'd have to spend a lot of money on health care before receiving any kind of coverage, you'd become a better informed shopper of your health care needs. But according to the book, a 2015 study found that high deductible plans just caused patients to avoid health care altogether. Congress, of course, didn't want to lose any stake they had in the game either. They quickly cut funding to the ACA. When special health care groups formed to provide medical care for those covered by the ACA, only 12.5% of promised subsidies were given by the government in 2015 to support such groups. Without any funding, most of those groups shut down within a year. And lastly, Hospitals had their own unique ways of eroding the ACA with language games. For example, when the ACA announced that preventive screenings would not cost anything, hospitals found ways of running normal tests on you. But if you needed something like blood work, that might cost extra. Or take colonoscopies, for example. Rosenthal says that 50% of all colonoscopies involve removing a polyp. Yet, doctors declare the removal of a single polyp to no longer be a free preventive screening. And, she states that free screening colonoscopies have generated more consumer complaints than any other ACA provision, because people thought it wasn't going to cost them anything. I appreciate how this chapter concludes because of its mathematical and financial statements. When we look at the U.S. healthcare system overall, we see a fully functional beast that technically isn't breaking any laws. And if any accusations come their way, each sector complains that they're not the guilty party. They point the finger somewhere else. But mathematically, let's break it down. Out of the $3 trillion of medical debt, quote-unquote, drug spending is only 10% of the national health budget, or nursing homes, 5%, or dermatology, only 4%, or doctor's payments, 20%. 
When only percentages are mentioned like that, the number sounds so small. But just think about it. If drug spending is only 10% of the national health budget, we're talking about $300 billion. Nursing homes at 5% of the budget, that's still $150 billion. And the list goes on and on. When you hear numbers that high, it can be hard to comprehend. And that's exactly the type of health care we have. Hard to comprehend. So what's the way forward? In the next couple of episodes, we will begin taking the book's advice on the many proactive steps we can take as we strive for better health care for ourselves.